So we're in this new series, Leaving Normal Behind, and it's good to see you. It is so nice to be able to do this in person. If you're here in the room, I want to encourage you, when you come in, if you sit on the end of a long row, you're blocking out all the seats of that row. And of course, we're only using every other pew. So you can tell who the real spiritual people are, the ones who sit in the middle of the row, so people can get in from either end. So if you wanted to practice a little more spirituality when you get here, that would really help other people to, to, to find a spot. Um, probably the most spiritual ones aren't here actually in the room because they're in one of our overflow rooms. Um, we'll be giving you your seat here. Uh, hi, people in the overflow room. And uh, of course, they have coffee over there. So, you know, it's, it's suspicious, their motives. Um, and then there's people who are home and still in their jammies. If you could take a picture of you and your family and then we could show those in church next couple of Sundays just so we can say hi to you at home uh, because um, we are all one uh, family here together. And uh, we're cheering for you. You also, if you wanted to invite uh, family and friends, your neighbors into your home and just be around the people that you're around usually. We want everybody to feel uh, safe and to take this uh, return at their own pace. And yet we still want to get together and we want to be in God's word. So we're in Ephesians chapter 3. And uh, this series, we've, like I say, we've called it Leaving Normal Behind. It's a letter that Paul wrote to encourage other believers um, while he himself was sitting in, uh, in uh, prison. And he's talking about the mystery of the gospel. And I'm going to read it, but I'll just warn you in advance. He starts in this chapter, chapter 3, then he interrupts himself, and he kind of chases a rabbit for a little while, and then he comes back and starts over in verse 14. And if you want to check it, verse 1 and verse 14 start exactly the same. So it's just like, he says, okay, let's, let's try this again and see if I can get myself on the point. But uh, look at how he starts verse 1. He says, for this reason I, Paul. Well, what reason? Well, if you go back and look at last week's, you have to read basically the, the passage that uh, Pastor Michael was on last week that says God broke down the wall between, the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles, and because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and God has included in his family uh, Gentiles, which was a radical thought to the Jews of that day. And he's filled them with God's spirit. He's included, he's adopted them into his family. And he dwells in them like they, they are his temple, a living temple. And uh, so that's where he's, he's, why he's starting this. So I'll start over. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by Revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now that verse 6 right there is basically a summary of the last half of chapter 2 that we talked about last week. Verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, the grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places." This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now our goal is, as, as believers, 
as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ is to know God and to love God and to follow God with our whole heart. How can you know God? He seems so far out of reach. His ways are above our ways. Well, the first is you just look around at the awesome world that he's created. Somewhere out behind those blinds, you can see it's absolutely spectacular. The, the ocean and the mountains and the whole world that he's created. And you know that it was put together by somebody who of superior intelligence and all even down to the intricate little details. You know that somebody had to make all that. And then God gives clues about himself in... Um, you know, there's times where he's just broken into humanity, uh, like in the person of Jesus was the most spectacular, but Paul certainly had one of those experiences where he was going his own way and suddenly God just broke into his life. You could read it in Acts chapter 9 and uh, kind of uh, arrested him, got his attention, got him refocused. And uh, God also has given us his word. And uh, we have... We have God's word so we can know his thoughts, we can know his likes, we can know his dislikes, his passions and his plans to draw people into closer relationship. And God has given us his spirit to live inside of our thoughts, to take God's word that you read and then for God uh, in his spirit to bring it to your mind and say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? And God continues to do that. So in this passage that we're looking at today, Paul is inspired to talk about a mystery that's been hidden since before the beginning of time. It was part of God's plan all along, but it was only gradually being revealed during Paul's lifetime. We look at it and go, what's the big deal? Maybe. We still kind of trip over this. Um, but in Paul's day, this was radical. And I think Paul makes at least five strong points in the beginning of this chapter, and then he has a concluding action for us. So number one is, God has a job for you to do and a plan for your life. God has a job for you to do and a plan for your life. And it's not just to be a good person or to be a happy person. It's bigger than life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You're intended in some way or fashion to display what Paul calls the manifold wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God. And we'll unpack that a little. But Paul starts and uses himself as an example. He says first in verse 1 that he is a prisoner. He says, I was chosen by God. I was loved by God. But I am a prisoner, not of the Jews who chased him all over the place. Not of the Romans who arrested him and put him in prison. He said, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. God has arrested me. He's gotten my attention. He changed the rest of my life in a positive way. And then in verse 2 he says, you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace. Basically, steward is, is the same word for manager. I'm a manager of God's grace. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm a manager of God's grace. And then in verse 7 he says, I'm a minister of the good news of the gospel. The gospel to the Gentiles. And basically what he's saying is, God has a job for you to do and a plan for your life and sometimes you go looking for it and sometimes it finds you. In Paul's case, it found him. Now, I committed my life early to Christ. My parents had promised me to the Lord if they had a boy and so I'm paying off their promise, I guess, uh, with my whole life. But um, I've always figured that God knew where I was. He knew that my heart was to follow him and to serve him. And if he wanted to move me from one ministry location to another, he would be able to do that. So, uh, I don't know, 20-some years ago, I was sitting at my desk in Northern California at a job I'd worked at for 10 years. And a letter came in 
as an associate pastor, a letter came in and it said, confidential in big red letters right on the front. And then in the corner there was a sticker that said, South Shore's Pastoral Search Committee. Well, that's like death if you're going to send that to, you know, an associate's work. Because if the pastor sees it, and secretary certainly will. So she'll tell him, you know, he, there he's getting, the church is talking to him. And so he's going to think you're disloyal. So I was frustrated with this letter. I didn't even open it. I just set it on my desk. Cindy came by later in the day and she was snooping, I guess, across the top of my desk. And she saw it. She goes, hey, what's this? I said, well, it looks like it's a letter from a church that needs a pastor. She says, why didn't you open it? I said, well, everything's on the outside. They really should have just sent a postcard. I think it's kind of, kind of rude. And she says, well, you, the Lord is in this. You need to take this seriously. And I said, oh, come on now. Have you ever heard of Dana Point? She goes, no. I said, do you know where Dana Point is? We know it's California, but do you know where it is? She goes, no. I said, I bet it's a pile of rocks out in the middle of the Mojave Desert. <laughs> Dana Point. I said, I've never heard of it before. It could just be nothing. She goes, no, the Lord's in this. You need to take it seriously. Well, later that day, Dwight Hamrow, who was here in the first service, called me, and he says, we got your name, and we want to talk to you about coming down and talking to us about possibly being our pastor. I said, how did you get my name? He said, well, 190 people applied on our site on, on the Internet, and we weeded it down from 190 to 100, down to 50, down to 5, down to 1. We loved him. We talked to him for six months, and he told us no. And we we're so discouraged, we asked him who he recommended. He gave us your name. We don't know why, but we think we would like to talk to you. So I called him. His name is Dane Ocker. He was pastoring in Corona. He's still in the same church, by the way. And I said, Dane, why did you recommend me? I'd met him one time. I'd spoken somewhere. He came up afterwards. We talked for about two minutes, okay? This was not like we were best buds or anything. And so he says, well, in my own prayer and fasting, the Lord said if I take the job, I'm taking somebody else's blessing, and he brought your name to mind. I don't know why, but you should take it seriously. So twice in the same day, the same people who didn't know each other have used the same words. Take this seriously. Take this seriously. I took it as a message from the Lord, went home, and that night we started getting our house ready to sell. That it's over. Or it's just beginning. And uh, began to see that God was doing something that just like Paul, I, I wouldn't compare myself to Paul, but God called me. Now, Paul, of course, was a BTO, a big-time operator, right? He started lots of churches all over the world, known world at the time. And he sat in jail and he wrote letters that became the New Testament, that for 2,000 years the church has parsed every verb and, and, and figured everything out and taken it apart and read it and been inspired by it and encouraged, including us today. I'm just a TWO, a teeny-weeny operator, you know, that was called from one church to one other church, and we fell in love together. So other pastors who've heard this laughed at it. Some in envy said, well, who wouldn't want a pastor in Dana Point? I mean, it's easy. It's fun. You're at the beach. There's always perfect weather. And so I fill in the rest of the blank for him. And I said, yeah, we go to the beach. We sit. We, we surf or we eat bonbons. And uh, we, we play tennis some days. We play golf some days. Some days we do both, you know, tennis and golf. I mean, it's sheer joy every minute. You only have to work half a day a week. Nobody has any problems. Nobody ever brings any complaints. Everybody always tells the truth. Everybody's always nice to each other. We don't have a care in the world. Now, if you believe this, I have a bridge for you to, uh, to buy. But so, uh, you know, when times have gotten tough, when people have gotten difficult, I go back to that moment to say, you know that God called you. 
and said, take it seriously. It was God's idea. And when God's done, he'll let us know. He says, remember God's call and remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Finish what God gave you to do. He would say that to each one of us. Finish what God's given you to do. Paul says, I was called by God, given a job. At first it was a mystery, but then it was revealed to me. Now, he's not Sherlock Holmes. He didn't discover it, but I want us to look at some of the clues. I mean, look at verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. What's he talking about? Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, but now has been revealed. So if you begin, you start looking for clues in the Bible, you go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 12. God comes to an old man named Abraham and says, Abraham, pick up your family, get up and go to where I'm going to show you. If you follow me, I will bless you. I'll make your name great. And uh, through you, your family will become a great nation. He had no children at the time. Your family will become a great nation. And uh, through you, every family in the earth will be blessed. That last little phrase was his one little clue that God had something bigger in mind. Now you realize that Abraham was about 500 years before they were called Jews, before they had the law, before they had the priests, before they had the tabernacle, before they had that kind of corporate worship together as Jews. Abraham's father of the Jews, but he wasn't very Jewish, I don't think. Because it took 500 years later, all that stuff came with Moses. Moses wasn't given a clue that God had something bigger that he was going to do in the world to bless every family in the world bigger than Judaism. Along came David, who was the king. David had no idea. God did not reveal it to any of them or to Elijah or any of the other prophets. But along comes Paul and gives, God reveals this plan to him. Clue number one is God has a plan for the whole world, and God calls individuals to play a part in his plan. And he showed it to Abraham. Paul explained this, that God had a big plan to the church when he wrote the letter to the Colossians. He says, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, this might not be a big deal to you and to me, but because most of us are Gentiles. But if God hadn't included us, we wouldn't have been included. Firmly entrenched in the thinking of the Jewish people of Paul's day was the conviction. God chose us as his special people. God loves us more than anybody else in the world. We are God's chosen ones, his favorite. We are blessed because we are special. And they forgot to read what God said to Abraham of you are blessed to be a blessing to others. They just thought all the blessings come to us. There's no hope for you. You don't matter. Because we're better than you. And God is saying, God loves individuals, and he's got a plan for the whole world, and he loves every person he created just as much as he loves you, regardless of their language or their color or their gender or their background. God loves every person he created, so there's no room for pride. Say, I'm better than somebody. There's no room for prejudice. Even Jesus said, go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Take it everywhere, the good news. Basically, start with your family. Go to your friends. Get it to your neighbors. Get it to the people you find hard to love and take it to everybody. That's why we send missionaries to this day. Like our missionaries to Ukraine. 
so that everybody can hear about Jesus' love because everybody is important. God broke the idea that he loved one kind of person more than another, that, that, that God, he wants his love shared with every person, every tribe, every color, every nation, every people group, every language, all are precious in his sight. And that first big boundary that was broken was that the gospel was given to Gentiles to share in God's salvation and his forgiveness and in the Christian love as full members, fully adopted into the God's family, loved and cherished and valued as much as anybody else. So if you were to read the book of Acts, you would see before the church even reached its adolescence, it had included men and women, boys and girls. It had included Jews, Gentiles, Romans, Asians, Africans. Paul was preparing to take the gospel to Spain. It spread throughout the whole known world. So what's the mystery? Clue number one is God has a plan for the whole world, not just for Jewish people. And God calls individuals to play a part in his plan. Part of the mystery is the gospel. The gospel is this. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. And he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation, of connecting to that are no longer connected, that have gotten disconnected. The gospel is the good news of Jesus who died for our sins and rose from the dead. And he offers salvation to anyone who would call on him. And he uses people to tell the good news. People like you and me, regular, average, ordinary people who share the good news with other people. See, number three is God sent Jesus into the world to atone for sin. God opens the door to relationships to anybody God created. He loves if they repent of their sin and make Jesus their Lord. And Paul said he was the least of sinners. Well, that's not just false humility. You know, he had been torturing Christians. Christians suffered and died because of Paul. He, he had them persecuted and murdered. And yet Jesus had grabbed Paul's attention to say, I got a job for you to do. I want you to go to not just the Jewish people. I want you to go to the very people that you claim to hate and share the good news and love of Jesus Christ with them. So what else is the mystery? Clue number three. Individuals who respond positively to Jesus Christ are filled with God's Spirit and gather together as God's church. Church was God's idea. Now, 30 years before Paul wrote this, Jesus was gathered with his disciples at a last meeting, and he said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Of all nations. We have been tracking that down ever since the last 2,000 years, chasing how do we get it to all nations, not just nations on a map, people groups, language groups. There's somebody in the room who's charted every one of them, knows exactly how many haven't been reached yet and how much has left to be done. We've been part of it. We adopted uh, uh, two people groups in Nepal. There is still work to be done. But the idea is that Jesus didn't just say, go make disciples. He said, of all nations. God wants some representative from every people group he ever created to be part of his family and to get the news out there. So the mystery here is that God ha has a plan to bless all nations, everybody, and uh, the good news is out, and Jesus uh, has pushed Paul to break it out of the Jewish mold and spread it to the Gentiles, and the church is the people who have the job of declaring God's glory to the world. You serve Christ, and your life will have significance. 
Look at verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Some translations actually say now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. So the mystery is going to be revealed through the church, through God's people like us. Now, if you happen to study the New Testament in Greek, you could memorize about 500 Greek words and you would you'd know 90% of the words in the New Testament. Just 500 words make up 90% of, of, the, of the whole New Testament. And the other 10%, well, there's, then they count how many times other words show up that aren't in that top 500. And one of those words is this word manifold. It shows up one place in the Bible and one place only. Do you know where it is? Well, right here, Ephesians 3, look at verse 10. It says, the manifold wisdom of God. So Pastor John Piper was talking about this, and he uses a picture of an artist with a huge canvas and just a zillion paintbrushes, and then all the colors that you would need in the rainbow and beyond, and he's putting together a masterpiece that uses all the colors, and some brushes are just used for just one little one little stroke. Others have a great big part in the picture. But when you step back and look at it, it has all the colors and it's radiant and it's a masterpiece. And that's what the church is. And God is at work creating and sustaining this masterpiece called the church. So you've got, if you look at them all, you've got big church, which is the church universal. Since Jesus said, I will build my church, people who've loved Jesus Christ, the church is founded on Jesus, his life and his uh, atoning work and uh, his resurrection from the dead. He, he is the founder. And ever since then, anybody who has named the name of Jesus has been part of the church of Jesus Christ in this world. And so some of them are already in heaven. You might already know some people who are there. I do. I'm looking forward to seeing some of them again, including like Jim Downs, who's having his second or third Sunday in heaven now. He was just a saint here in the church, and we're having a, a reception for him next Saturday at 10 o'clock. I can't wait to get to talk to him again. Or Helen or Maxine or others. And so big church is those, it's the church universal. Some are alive, some are alive in heaven, and someday we will all be together at the feet of Christ. Then you have the Christians that are in this world, you know, they haven't always gotten along with each other, and so there's been rubs along the way. And so they've been, pretty soon, you know, we get doing things together, and then we get discussing, and then we get disagreeing, and then pretty soon we need distance from each other. And so at one point you had everybody together, and then you had the Catholics and the Protestants, which means protest, right? The, the protest or Protestant, and those split. And, uh, and so, you know, in America now, you have about 68 million Catholics, and you have about that many Protestants as well. But, uh, you know, even those, they, they kept fighting. You've got the Pentecostals, and you have the Evangelicals. You have the high church and the low church. You have the liturgical and the free church, and on and on and on and on. And uh, I Googled Baptist and came up with a list of about 55 different types. And it's all because they can't get along with each other. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, Jesus said, you're going to be my church. And most of us seem to know more what we're against than what we're for. And the denominations have been a vehicle in the past to say, how do we get the missionaries around the world to tell the story of Jesus to other people? But the denominations have gotten smaller in the last 10 or 20 years because they've been more liberal, trying to be more inclusive, more inclusive, more inclusive, and it's eroded people's trust. 
So here at church at South Shores, we're, we're not nearly as interested in lifting up denominations as to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Because we believe that Jesus is God, and we believe the Bible is God's inspired word, and we believe his Holy Spirit is active in believers' hearts and, and uh, in life of every person who's a fully devoted follower of Christ. And some, you, you need to get ready, though, because some of the people that you've disagreed with vehemently, you're going to see in heaven. Oh, my goodness, what are you doing here? <laughs> How did you ever make it? <laughs> and they'll say, you're looking in the mirror. You should be asking yourself those questions, right? <laughs> so denominations have had their place, but most believers have their strongest connection to a local expression, a local church like us, just a local group where you can get to and it's close. It's people who are alive when you're alive and uh, they live near where you live. And I'm always suspicious when people say, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Or, I love Jesus, but I don't have any church to connect to, that I'm connected to. Well, Jesus is the head, and the church is his body. It's his arms and his feet, and it's his eyes and his ears in this world. So it's God's plan that we connect with the church. We need all the strong churches we can get that are focused on Jesus Christ. Churches where Jesus is proclaimed, where God's word is preached with clarity, where the Holy Spirit is, is clearly leading the church to reach out to, with the good news, with compassion to the poor, and to send missionaries to win people to Jesus in any and every culture. And I guess we need to have a warning because there are a lot of ways that churches can get pushed into neutral or into conflict or into decline. Because they get arguing and disagreeing with each other rather than keeping their focus on Christ. We need to guard against those things. We need to keep the main thing the main thing and to lift up unity. I mean, you don't think there's possibility even for under misunderstanding or conflict with people who, you know, the maskers and the non-maskers? The people who show up for church and the ones who don't show up for church? And, you know, not to make it too personal or too, you know, current, but the idea of how do we stay together as a church? How do we keep our unity? How do we keep moving forward and doing what Christ would want us to do? Somebody said, in all in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And then, of course, some people disagreed with that. So, um, you know, here's Paul's main point. The church is filled with saved people who are filled with God's Spirit. And they declare and they reveal the great mystery of God to this world and beyond. Now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being proclaimed. People can look at us as a church, and if we're doing what Jesus said of love one another, they'll say, what is it about that group of people? They disagree with each other, but they're gracious. They care for each other. And look, they don't all look alike. Some are older, some are younger, some are this color, some are that color, some are from this background, some are from that background. They speak different languages. But the, the, what is it they've got? And the answer is Jesus. It's Jesus. So let's review. God has a job for you to do and a plan for your life. God has a plan for the whole world, and he loves every person just as much as he loves you. And God sent Jesus into the world to atone for sin. God opens the door to relationships with God for everyone. People who respond together become part of his church. Now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be declared to the world. So then, okay, now we're to verse 14. This is where Paul wanted to start, or so he thought. He says, for this reason, what reason? That the church 
demonstrates the manifold wisdom of God in all of its color, in all of its glory. He says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family on earth and heaven is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And then read the last slide with me. Are you on it already? Not quite. Go to verse 20. Okay, you got to go back a little bit. It's not, not split the same way. Okay, three lines from the bottom. See where it says now? Okay, read this with me. It's a great benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Huh? He says here to measure the... The, the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love. Can you do that? You can measure all of it, but you can't, you can't get all the way around it. I mean, if you were to use it as a, as a measuring stick, look at the cross. You got one arm that reaches up to heaven and one that goes all the way to hell. You got two arms this way that say people who love the Lord and people who are far from the Lord. And Jesus says, whosoever will may come. God has a plan. And we, as God's people, God's church, of whatever background, whatever nationality, whatever language, we, God's church in this world, show his glory and his wisdom. We are his masterpiece. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its encouragement. We thank you even knowing that this was written from a guy sitting in prison wishing his life would get moving forward. And you inspired him inspire us in the situations we find ourselves, whether we're in school or at work or at home or wishing we were at one of those places, whether we're out to play, whether we're a long way from our family and friends or they're right on top of us. Get us your perspective that we are your people, dearly loved. We are filled with your love and your forgiveness and your spirit. And we are the manifold witness of God's wisdom in this world. Amen.